deep in the heart of Central Texas, it's the best of the outdoors podcast. Brought to you by Texas Fishing Game Magazine, the voice of the Texas outdoor nation. I'm your humble host, Dustin Vaughn Warnke, the outdoor success guy, back with another podcast with you. So excited to have the chance to sit down with you guys again and just visit with you about Texas and beyond and all the different hunting and fishing and shooting things that you can do in the outdoors, especially here in the winter months because we're in February now. Um, thank you guys so much for watching, reading, and listening to our content, uh, and especially for tuning into this podcast. It means the world to me to be able to share this time with you and to be able to um, to encompass all that is the outdoors that God has given us to uh, to enjoy uh, while we're here on earth. And I mean, I just, I love this stuff, man. I love the medium of podcasting where I can share this with you from my little home office here in central Texas and, uh, just get to be able to share all that the encompasses the outdoor lifestyle, uh, in Texas and beyond. So anyway, wherever you're listening, however you're listening, thank you so much for doing so hit the smash or smash. I should say a lot of guys say smash the subscribe button, wherever you're listening. If it's YouTube, that's great. Uh, if it is on uh, Podbean, uh, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, any of those, uh, that's that's a great way to keep up with our new shows and just they get downloaded right to your mobile device, your phone or tablet or whatever every two weeks. And uh, we have a lot of fun. Thank you guys so much for the SHOT Show love. Uh, four podcasts we did back-to-back there, two with Dustin Ellerman, one with Dustin Warnke, yours truly, myself, and then one with Chester Moore. Uh, got great, great, great ratings on those uh, downloads and, uh, and plays and streams and everything like that. It was really, really cool. Fun time. I had to take a little bit of a break because, my goodness, I was winded after that, after doing all the, the selling all day and the podcasting all night and singing for my own supper. Uh, that, that was just a crazy time, but I, it just feels so good to be back. I've got some product review podcasts coming up. I'm going to talk about some of the stuff I've been reviewing on YouTube. Some of you guys listen on YouTube, so that's a good way to to plug into my stuff there. Uh, Also, if you've not done this already, go home and check out the Amazon Alexa uh, app on your phone or on your uh, the actual Echo, I believe is what they call it, the Echo Mini or the Echo Dot, whatever the case may be, the Amazon Alexa um, machine uh, if, if you will, uh, the audio, uh, machine that, uh, you can put in your kitchen or your bedroom or your, uh, or your, uh, your bathroom or whatever and say, Alexa, play the best of the outdoors podcast and she'll play the best of the outdoors podcast through iHeartRadio. And, uh, that is really cool. She'll play the latest episode of the best of the outdoors podcast on iHeartRadio. I think that is really, really cool. So you can go home if you have an Alexa or have an Amazon echo, uh, you go online and uh, do that. They have a, a PC app now for the Alexa too, but it didn't work as well as I wanted it to. So I was going to say you could do that too. But uh, the Alexa, the best of the outdoors podcast, now you can listen on your Amazon Echo. Uh, Alexa, please play the best of the outdoors podcast and she'll pull the latest episode from my heart radio. Really cool stuff. So I'm really excited about that. Um, also, Wanted to show some love to some of our sponsors, some of the folks that has sponsored the Best of the Outdoors podcast, some of our digital sponsors. And this week, that is Timney Triggers USA. They just came out with the Elite Hunter uh, Remington 700 Trigger. And this thing is going to be one of the really, really cool um, uh, innovations when the Remington 700, because, you know, that's an iconic gun. Um, you know, bolt action rifle used by snipers, used by uh, police, police departments, so on and so forth. Um, 
really fantastic uh, rifle, and that just uh, unveiled its shot show, which is a just a beautiful trigger. Uh, they make triggers for all kinds of weapons. I own a lot of older weapons, as you guys know, but the Elite Hunter Remington 700 is the uh, latest overnight success, 73 years in the making is the way they say it. I think that's kind of cool. Um, I own a five Mosin Nagants, which are World War II uh, era Russian bolt action rifles. I'm thinking of getting a Timney for that. I did get a Timney, and I've talked about this in the podcast, I think, once before. Got one for my uh, FN Mauser, chambered in 270 Winchester. Hunted with that gun this year with Norm Ammunition and uh, my Timney trigger in there and, and killed a couple of nice deer and uh, really a cherry of a gun to shoot again. That military Mauser trigger just warm me out and that gun was not that accurate as a result uh because you always had that hard trigger press and uh just it just doesn't doesn't make sense but we're talking like a real crisp real clean uh easy to pull easy to to press easy to to shoot uh trigger real light Uh, i'm not saying it's a hairpin trigger but it's a it's a real light trigger uh that's the way i like them and the gun is just super accurate now it's a it's a uh, um, sporterized Mauser and uh, really, really had a lot of fun installing the trigger, had a lot of fun um, writing about it. I've got an uh, article on fishgame.com on uh, our digital issue as well as on our blog that talks about the progression of how I installed the Timney trigger and really, really impressed with this thing. Also, Timney is doing the Journey Hunt giveaway. You could win and you can register uh, through our Facebook page because we're going to be putting up the Facebook um, link to this. So you can just check out the Fish Texas Fishing Game Facebook page, Texas Fishing Game Magazine Facebook page, uh, the Journey Hunt Giveaway. You can sign up to for your chance to win an all-expense-paid hunt with Dave Watson, who is a guy that's been on TV for as long as I can remember. Uh, one lucky winner will join Dave on Tex, uh, Ted Nugent's Spirit of the Wild Ranch, which is up near Waco, I think near China Springs here in Texas, uh, for a once-in-a-lifetime hunt that will be aired on The Journey which is a TV show, and the prize includes airfare and grand, ground transfers to the Spirit of the Wild Ranch outside of Waco, Texas, lodging, all meals, choice of a Timney trigger, Timney hat, T-shirt, and hoodie. Uh, what are you waiting for? Take your shot. So you can go register for this on Timney's website. That's timneytriggers.com. Timney is T-I-M-N-E-Y, triggers.com, or you can go to the uh their website and click on and get over here you can go to our facebook page and we actually have uh, ads running on our website as well as fishgame.com to uh to check that out all right other sponsor for this particular podcast besides timney triggers which i have a lot of great things to say about uh air force air guns okay been a fan of air force air guns since i can remember uh getting into media which is about you know 2000 and Geez, I can't even remember. It's been a long time ago now, but it, I, I officially got into doing filming my own hunts and stuff like that and all this crazy stuff that I do now in 2012, which has been seven years ago. And that's when I really, I think, got to involved with Air Force Air Guns. And uh, they made the Texan, which is the most powerful production air rifle, I believe, in existence today as far as... Uh, it goes, and they've come out with a Texan LSS, and the Texan, they came out with a Texan SS, which is uh, which is a, um, a, su- a suppressed or sound suppressed version of the Texan, but now the Texan LSS is a full length suppressed version of the Texan, and the cool thing about it is they make a retrofit kit for my Texan, which I have in a regular Air Force Texan that that came out when it first was new, uh, in 45 caliber. Well, they come up with a with a uh, moderate kit or sound suppressed kit uh, where you have 500 foot pounds of energy 
at uh, at at just an amazing amount of power suppressed. All right, 500 foot pounds of energy is huge for air gun. And think of air guns when you think of of uh, of what you're shooting. Uh, think of it much like a muzzle loader. It's going to run uh, bigger bigger slugs. It's going to run a bigger projectile, and it's going to run um, it's going to run slow and hit like a hammer. And it's kind of like a 30-30 compared to, to a 223. Okay, uh, not not super fast, not super light, but heavy and hard. And uh, that's the nice thing about what's going on with them. And the new thing they've got is RAW, the RAW, the Rapid Air Weapons Systems. Uh, they have a whole line of air guns that they, I believe they just acquired that company, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, just, golly, get you an Air Force air gun. Get you a Talon P, like what I've got. Uh, get you a Condor, get you an Escape, get you uh, um, a Texan. You know, you can now illegally hunt with air guns in Texas for, uh, for whitetail deer. Uh, and other game species in the uh, in the in, you know during the respective seasons, along with rifles, and uh, they just have some different guidelines and stuff they want you to follow and that kind of stuff. But anyway, so two gun sponsors on a fishing podcast. Sorry, that's just the way it worked out this week. But uh, getting into the show, I wanted to definitely give a big shout out again to Air Force Air Guns and Timmy Triggers. Air Force Air Guns you can find at airforceairguns.com. Also on our website at fishgame.com, you can click over and view the banners and uh, and and reach air force air guns like that but they, they get an amazing amount of traffic on our website guys and i think the reason is is because they have such um such an awesome following as far as a, just an interesting looking gun i mean it's not really a gun that you see every day it looks like something futuristic and it really is uh kind of reminds me of the desert tech rifle but another n- another more on that later on another podcast so um but really uh the the air force texan lss uh fully suppressed long uh, air rifle and uh, you can run it from uh, they have 308 they have 257 308 357 and 45 caliber uh, I have the 45 caliber I love it take it hog hunting um, I'm planning to get into the video of it pretty soon as soon as I get a crossbow hunt filmed uh, just love this gun I have a lot of fun with it all right thank you guys so much for watching reading and listening here is our interview with mr. Jeff Stewart Jeff crypto Hulk Stewart as he calls himself and um, fantastic time we we go a little bit long on this podcast and i'll just i'll warn you that but him and i share some of the best stories man that i think i've talked about on this podcast me fishing with my grandpa when i'm five years old okay in 1984 um him fishing with his dad you know him fishing with his grandfather i mean just all the it's really worth the listen this week guys i'm serious because we really talk about all that encompasses what we do in the outdoors and the heritage and the simplicity of catfishing uh, compared to you know your your high end bass fishing and stuff like that. And I know Jordan Lee just won the 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 major league fishing bass pro shops uh, tour circuit thing that they did. And I mean that's some high end high level uh, fishing in, in the sport. Catfish is just a kick back, lay back, fill up the ice chest, fill up the freezer um you know sport and it's it's not a hard you know fish to catch and like i said this is just something i wanted to bring you for chester recommended we do this episode for winter catfish and especially the big boys that lurk out there in the winter the winter months for uh catfish is just a fantastic time to get out on the water have a fantastic time in the outdoors and catch that stuff and i know i've been a little long-winded on this first segment so here's my interview with mr jeff stewart hope you enjoy it thanks so much here we go Joining me on the phone, Mr. Jeff Stewart, Jeff Crypto Hulk Stewart. Is that correct? Did I say that right? That is it. <laughs> so 
we were just talking before we started recording uh, about some of the uh, the fishing adventures we've been on recently. And uh, Jeff, you said you would just launch in a boat, uh, you know, no electronics, no graphs, no anything like that. And uh, tell us about that. Uh, we decided to go out the first part of this week. Weather was beautiful. Uh, you know, we, we were tipping off close to 80 degrees, and it was just wonderful. Uh, so cousin of mine had just bought a new boat, a uh, new used boat. So we took it out. River's so high, we couldn't launch in our normal spot. Uh, so we launched on uh, the Texas-Louisiana uh, border there on the Texas side, close to Logansport, Louisiana. And uh, what lake or what went river? up river. Where were y'all at? On the Sabine. On the Sabine, Sabine. Sabine River. Okay, cool. I understand. And right, right before it goes into Toledo Bend. Okay, cool. I was and curious. We went up river and with no no way to you know depth finder or anything like that. So it was old school all the way. Uh, taking the anchor and when you'd find a spot you might want to fish, you go up there, drop the anchor over the side and kind of do the old uh, bob it up and down and touch the bottom and then pull it up to see how how deep it is. Um, and we were able to, you know, do that and find the water I wanted. I wanted to fish in about six foot of water right off of a sandbar on the uh, on the downriver side of a sharp bend in the river. That way we weren't in extreme current. The fish would stage up there to get out of the extreme current. Right. Um, so we did that, and we had enough success in our two days of fishing to have a really, really nice little fish fry. Cool, that's great, and that's always a reward for a good catfishing trip is a good fish fry, right? That is the ultimate reward. Uh, um, I will be honest about this. I have catfished my entire life, and if I did not enjoy eating them as much as I do, I probably wouldn't go catfish. <laughs> I would probably stick to you know crappie and and, and bass and bow fishing. Uh, but you know, it's just hard this time of year with that water cold and clean, those blue cats, you mm. bringing them in about two, two and a half pounders up to five, six pounders, uh, pretty readily. And, you know, those things are such good eating and it doesn't take, but, you know, seven or eight of those five pound fish to make a heck of a fish fry for several people. Yeah, and does. I really don't like keep once they get over about five, six pounds, uh, uh, maximum I like to keep a fish is about 15 pounds. Once they get over that, I, I turn them back loose. Um, generally, because over my years of fishing, I found that those those bigger fish are, are fatty and uh, strong tasting. And just if I can get a boatload of uh, two pounders, I'll throw a 20 pounder back. <laughs> It's kind of like Roy Simmons calls them eaters, you know, eating size catfish, uh, fished with him before. And he, uh, my father-in-law is going out with a fishing trip with him for catfish here, uh, in the next couple of weeks. And then I'm taking my father-in-law fishing. So I, to, uh, Lake Conroe for crosswater outfitters weekend. And the funny thing is I was going to ask, do you know what the vernacular of floor fish means? Jeff, what was it again? Floor fish. Do you know what a floor fish is? This is what we use at Crosswater. This is the vernacular we use. So I'm just curious if you know, if you could guess what a floor fish is. 
Now, back when I was a youngster, a floor fish was a fish that didn't quite meet the length limit. He was like, if the length limit is 12 inches, you'd have one that was about 11 and three quarters, and you'd toss him in the floor of the boat. So when you heard the game warden come, you'd pick him up and throw him back in the water. Right, now, right. Oh my I, do God. Not condone, I do not condone that practice. I know you don't. I and know and you I don't. do not do that myself anymore. I know. But, you know, when, when we were a kid, we didn't have the fishery that we have now, honestly. Texas Parks and Wildlife has done a wonderful job with our fisheries. And I can remember being a kid and going fishing, and all you caught were those fiddlers, those those nine-inch and less fish. And, you know, you you had to search hard to catch a a, um, a, what we call a mess, you know, a good mess of fish so that you could have a fish. So, you know, when you caught one, Right on that cusp of, of, man, he almost touches the, the line, you know, because we always scratched the line wherever we sat in the boat. There was a line scratched in the finish of the boat that was the, the length. Right. And so, you know, you get one that's almost touching it. So that's what we always call a, kinda, a floor fish. It's kind of old school. I like that. Well, in Crosswater Outfitters, which is my fishing ministry that I'm a part of, we call a floor fish a fish that will not fit on the live well. It will only fit on the floor. So that's the big catfish. That are like well, twenty see, pounds of We had a fifty-five uh, gallon drum that was cut half in two that sat in the middle of our our boat. Okay, and you'd take, take a, a bucket and you'd you'd put about you know six inches of water over in it, and then when you caught a fish, you just tossed him over in that. Yeah, but we did. We didn't. My dad preferred a boat that had nothing in it, no rod boxes, no live wells, <laughs> no nothing. It was, Usually a, a, a old Kingfisher stick steer uh, boat. That's what we we always fished out of sure. with just everything in it open. So you had had room in that boat for whatever you wanted. And, um, you know, usually it was that, that big 55-gallon uh, drum cut in half and an ice chest full of drinks, and the rest of that boat was fishing gear. This just makes me reminisce to my younger days when I first started catfishing with my grandfather in 2000, I guess it was 1983, something like that. And basically, you know, just the, the old school way of doing it was just, there's no school like the old school. And I say that all the time, but I mean, it's just, that was a simple way of doing it. We make things so complex with all the graphs and all the the stuff like that. What my grandfather would do is put a boat in, go dig some red worms at, at the city park, and they'll put his boat in and go across the river to where his trot line was buried way deep in the water, and uh, he'd catch some monsters out of there. And this is just in New Braunfels, Texas, where I grew up. You know, I mean, this is real simple yeah. folk kind of fishing. And it just it, this your stories bring me back to the days that the way that things were, you know, back then, and how cool they were because they were so simple. That it, it was amazingly simple. I mean, my father and I, I started out fishing with my dad before I was old enough to walk. I mean, he would carry me in the boat, uh, wrap me in a blanket, and then put a life jacket, a vest-type life jacket around that and cinch it up tight around me sure. and lay me in the bottom of the boat and, and take me with him with a formula or whatever in the uh, ice chest. So I was there from the time. My earliest memories are fishing on the Sabine River and, and hunting oh, on the Sabine man. River. So, um, you know, I, I know the simple stuff like that. We would take our, our trot line, our trot lines two foot under the water if we could. You know, you'd yep. reach, have your, you'd be elbow deep or further under the water tying onto a good springy willow limb mm-hmm. so that 
boats that passed by didn't see your yep. my dogs over there barking. No, it's fine. That's so the same thing that, that we did. Didn't see yep. Your line. yep, that's the same thing my grandfather you know, did, man. Old school, you know, just just to keep your line no, we, below the water. Yeah. Yes, and we had uh, we had ponds that were secret ponds that we we had we knew what pond my, had what my dad called slick perch in it. You know, there's all different kinds. There's, there's bluegill, there's red ears, there's sunfish, there's goggle eyes. There's all kinds of war mouth, as they're called. But we call them goggle eyes. Yep. And then there's a type of perch that's a little hybrid perch. And I do not, I've never known a, a scientific name for this perch. And the scales on them are very small. And the perch feels very slick whenever you run your hand down it and look at it. And they're a slender, long Perch look look almost like a cross between a war mouth and a uh, red ear or something. Okay. I mean, they, they, they're just a different just a different looking perch. And my dad always called them slick perch. We knew what ponds had them because in his wisdom that he had very much of, um, he knew that that the best catfishing was to be done with these perch. Though that they sure. lived well on the line, the they were tough bodied, so they something couldn't just a gar or something couldn't just slap at them and knock them off the hook, and they caught good fish. Hmm. And we had ponds all over East Texas, and we knew well this pond's got bluegill in it, this pond's got this in it, and this pond's got them little slick perch in it, and that's where we went first. And we fished with those, and um, people don't know like all your different kinds of catfish do. We have what we always referred to as mall heads. People call them bull heads and mm-hmm. lots of different names for them. They're, they're not a game fish. They're not, a, they're not regulated like most catfish are, like blues and channels. So you, you can actually use them as bait. And there's a green one and a brown one. Mm-hmm. And back, back in the 70s, uh, 80s, we used a lot. We'd go to ponds that had those little uh, bullhead catfish in them. And get the we'd put traps out and catch them that were about two, two and a half, three inches long, and a big old flathead or Opelousas catfish cannot resist that. Mm-hmm. And um, we read we read regularly caught seventy and eighty pound Opelousas catfish back in the late seventies, early eighties with these simplistic techniques. Oh, so, trot line stretched across the river with window weights on it ever. <laughs> 20 or so feet to hold it down on the bottom and <laughs> you know weights, about a, I love it <laughs> yeah about an 18 inch staging and you put the window weight where the hook would be you know probably six to eight inches off the bottom etc cetera, yeah. etc cetera. my dad I mean believe me he, he ingrained in me how to catch catfish on trot lines throw lines jug lines if it had a hook on it me and my dad fished it wow that's great I mean, what a, what a great story. I mean, that's that's the way we grew up, man. I mean, this is just... How old a man are you, Jeff? I forget. Always ask. Always forget to ask. I will be 47 in May. Okay, I'll be 40 in May. So we're not that far away from each other in age. But, I mean, it was, it was the late 70s. I was born in the late 70s. And then, you know, the early 80s when I had my formative years of fishing. And still to this day, I still remember that park with my grandfather and the way that he had his trot line staged out there and under and underneath the water, the same exact way you're talking about with the window weights and all that stuff. I mean, it was just use what you had, you know, go catch you some mess of catfish, have a fish fry. 
I mean, man, those were the good old days. And I mean, that's kind of, I never thought we'd go that way on the podcast, but man, that, that's, that just brings back so many great memories for me, you know? Exactly. And you know, what's, what's even people don't understand today and kids today will never know because things have went so differently in modern times as a nine year old kid. I had my own boat. I had a 14-foot aluminum boat with a seven-and-a-half horsepower mercury motor that all of it was hand-me-downs or junk that we had got somewhere and fixed ourselves. Mm -hmm. None of it was nice new equipment, but it all ran good because we worked on it. And as a nine-year-old kid, I mean, my dad would go and, and launch my boat for me, and he had to go to work. He would leave. And mm -hmm. so I, I had a little uh, motorcycle, a little Honda dirt bike. And from our house down, we lived about a half a mile from the boat, our private boat launch. Yep. And I would ride my little dirt bike down to that private boat launch. And I would get in my boat at 7 o'clock in the morning, right at daylight or whatever, and I'd go run lines. Wow, that's cool, And dude. then I would catch my fish and put it in the live box, come back, tie my boat up, ride the dirt bike back to the house, get in the car and mama would take me to school and I would go to school all day. I'd get out of school and come home, get on that dirt bike, ride back down to our boat ramp, get in my boat, go run and bait up my lines for the evening. Right. And I would, I would do that, you know, at nine, 10 years old, mm. who in the heck today could trust a nine year old to go by themselves, to get in a boat, go up river and run lines. Heck, I've got a nine-year-old, you, you know. Yeah, I mean, it's a different world today. But, yeah, it's – wow, that's amazing. What a story. I wouldn't have trusted my son – I wouldn't have trusted my son to rode the dirt bike at nine years old down to the boat ramp. <laughs> Let alone to get in a boat and go upriver, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's kind of – Exactly. <laughs> that's exactly. kind of different, yeah, I'm with you. Wow. What a story. I mean, it was, it was nothing for me – you know, to honestly, my dad was working, you know, 12 plus hour days. It was nothing for me to bring a, a mess of catfish home now with a five gallon bucket dangling from the handlebars of my motorcycle, <laughs> um, bring it. home enough fish, get home at nine years old, get home with them, skin those fish, fillet those fish, plus cut up the bony pieces because we like the bony pieces. Yep. And get the grease ready, the meal ready, and be frying those fish at nine, ten years old. When my dad pulled in the driveway, I was cooking fish for the family. You were my going, mom was yeah. inside getting other things ready. You were I going field to tail table. That's great. I mean, you were going for I'm sorry, yeah. water to table, but same same difference. Yeah, field to table kind of thing. I mean that that what an amazing formative experience to have when you're when you're that young. I mean, wow, what a story, Jeff. That's great. And I, I attribute that to being how I, being that I turned out the way I did. Sure. I can honestly say I'm, I am somebody that grew up in the 70s, early 80s. I have never in my life taken an illegal drug mm -hmm. so, such as, you know, smoked pot or right. did any of that kind of stuff. Now, I, I grant you, when I was younger, I, I didn't know what a, the bottom of a beer can was. And thank the good Lord that I don't do that anymore. Sure. But. You know, it wasn't fishing that led me to that, but it was fishing that led me away from whenever all my friends were out on the weekends and so were smoking dope and, and, and snorting something or, or popping some pills. Man, I couldn't do that because I was down on the river running a trot line. You had to have all your Or I was out in the woods yeah. deer hunting. 
yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, nothing about that made my experience of hunting or fishing didn't seem like it'd make it any more fun. So, you know, and I have a group of friends that went with me on weekends a lot of times, and they didn't do the drugs either. We stayed on the river or we stayed in the woods, you know, every free moment we weren't in school or playing sports, we were in the woods. And, you know, there's an old saying that, you know, if you take your kids hunting and fishing, you don't have to go hunting your kids. Yeah. Um, I'm a firm believer in that. But today it's so much different because that, that old, you know, something that we use as a tool, you and I, and that is the Internet. And we use that as a tool to, to earn our living yes. and things like that. Yes, we do. And, and that same Internet can be used as a tool to grab a hold of your kids the wrong way. Right. So I urge parents out there, turn off the, the, the TV and, and turn off your computer after you listen to this podcast. And yeah, of course. After you, uh, read, <laughs> read, after you go and read our stuff on fishgame.com. Fish yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah. But, uh, you know, grab up your kid and, and take them to the city park. I mean, I'm sure there's a pond at the city park. Yeah. Even if you live in town, you know, there's a river, there's a pond, there's a lake going to be close enough to you to drive to, I promise you. Yeah. I mean, you can invest in a very cheap combination rod and reel, um, 10, 12 bucks. You, they come with line. Most of them come with a little tackle box that's got hooks, sinkers, yep. bobbers. All you need to do is, is find some worms. You can buy a box of worms for two bucks. Right. Or you can go out in the backyard and take a shovel and dig and some, or yourself, like yeah. I do. I I, uh, I hit the road ditches with just a, a tad of uh, bleach and put just a few drops of bleach on worm mounds, and you can get those long, good earthworms that are about foot and a half, two foot long, and man, you can fish all day long with a couple of those. Yeah. So I urge you, get out there, take your kids. If you don't do any, if you don't even catch a fish, who cares? Yeah. Sit on the riverbank, creek bank lake whatever on the shore with your kid talk to your kid enjoy the day eat something drink something laugh giggle sure go home knowing that you know wow what a day yeah because my dad my dad's gone my dad uh passed away last december or december before last it was was a year ago this december and um i can't do that with my dad anymore i did it my whole life right and the special time my best memories of my dad were sitting on that riverbank fishing or in a boat fishing and my mom fished my mom still loves to fish and believe me my some of my best memories with my mother have been while we were fishing too yeah that's great that's fantastic well real quick let's switch gears to bigger catfish uh strategies because i've got a couple of tricks up my sleeve that i was going to run into as far as um you know for instance big blues is what we catch on lake conroe all the time and this is the time of year to catch them especially the colder and nastier the weather gets the better the fishing is you know what i'm saying right so i mean we use cut shad uh fresh cut shad that we that we catch that we can uh, cast net you know the day before or the day of and um and and cut them in, in in pieces either if it's a big shad three pieces tail midsection and head or right in the middle and you just have a tail and a head section and uh, hook those for a jug line and that's how we catch the big boys on Lake Conroe. How, what what are your thoughts on that, Jeff? Love shad. If you can get a hold of shad, just wow. And if you can get a shad that is about three inches long and you can yes. fish him whole, that's even better. 
Uh, if you got to cut them up, that's great. What I like to do to give them just a little bit extra, I like to take my shad and cut them up about a day or two in advance. Put them in a gallon uh, old pickle jar that's got a lid on it. And I like to pour uh, a little bit of oil, mm-hmm. like a vegetable oil, over the top of them and let them sit. Oh, that's a good idea. In the ref- in a refrigerated in the in the refrigerator or somewhere where you can keep them cool. I usually put mine down in an ice chest because I don't have room in the refrigerator and keep them cool because you don't want your shad getting softer no. than they are than they would be because what happens is this oil will actually toughen them up just a little really? bit and that oil impregnates them so that when you hook them on and you drop them down, that oil is coming off into that water. That's a great tactic. And it's creating an oil slick. Kind of an oil slick, And yeah. that, that, that helps a lot. My favorite bait for big catfish is crawfish. Okay. Which is Here not the something i a, a lot of success with. But in the Sabine River, I mean, I, I think that's a great idea. Tell me more. Um, if you can't find crawfish this time of year, uh, putting traps out or anything, go to any place that sells boiled crawfish. Okay. And I've got two or three places around here and I hit them up for their dead crawfish. When they when they do their culling of their crawfish, I, I give the owners, you know, say, Look, you put these in a uh, gallon ziploc bag or in an old ice bag or anything for me and toss them in the freezer and I and when I come, I mean I'll pay you for them. I'll give you, you know, four or five dollars or whatever for, for a sack for. Sure. And they're always, most of the time, they don't charge me anything. They're like, man, just bring me a mess of fish if you catch something. <laughs> <So> that works. <laughs> I love to catch my own crawfish and use them, what I'll call live crawfish. But if I can't, I'll go and get those dead crawfish. And when I put them on the hook, I don't put them on there and leave them whole right. with, the, with the carapace on their top. Now, you take and put your fingernail right where the um, tail armor meets their carapace and you just pull that off and that exposes their gills and their legs and yep. all their entrails and everything yep. and let that be out there because that's getting that sand out in the water and so you put the hook in right at the base of the tail where their uh, uh, anal opening is that comes out right at the in front of their uh, scoots mm-hmm. and you come through that and come out right in the middle of those legs okay in their chest so you're just and using the tail the, the tail up. assembly if you will just so you're taking the you're taking the claws and the and the uh the pinchers and the and no, the head leave, off right? leaving all that on oh leaving no all that you on, leave the claws and everything the way that you're hooking it i you're see just, what you're saying okay all you're doing is peeling the armor the shell off of that and oh, leaving okay. all of that i on. understand okay okay i get it that's cool and that also helps if there's a little bit of current that also helps because now those legs and things will kind of move with the current. Right. Whenever it's out there, it kind of frees that, that upper body, the chest part up so that it moves with the current. And that helps out a lot too. That That's one right. of my favorite strategies on catching big catfish. That's cool. I now, like that. my, one of my other strategies on this is, is the use of the uh, uh, bullhead catfish. Mm-hmm. If it's legal on your body of water, uh, I know you know the the Texas state regulations. The, the bullheads are not classified as a uh, catfish. There's no link limit. There's no restrictions on them like it is blues, channels, and 
uh, flatheads. Right. So I like to use those, and I like the green ones, not the brown ones. The brown ones don't work nearly as good. I don't know why. But now, and I'm going from experience from Toledo Bend and uh, the Sabine River. That's where I fish 99.9% of my stuff, some in Sam Rayburn. But most of the time, it's Toledo Bend and uh, the Sabine. So those green ones work better, and you can find those in just about any dadgum old pond in East Texas. That's great. And so, you know, one of the reasons why I'll just give you the, the reasoning behind why we cut shad, Jeff, is just is just so that oil, that slick will get in the water, that blood, you know, yeah. that those entrails. I mean, as gross as that sounds, but I mean, the, the one thing I was going to mention here at this point is uh, Arctic eyes is something that I use in the outdoors and they're ice packs, basically. And they basically will keep your stuff dry but cold. And the main reason why, if you're fishing with menhaden or um, the pogies or you know whatever you would call them in salt water, you want to keep your stuff. Um, what's the other thing I was going to call it uh, the, for um, for uh, your, your mullet and that kind of stuff that you wanted to keep um, keep cold but not but you know not not too. You don't want it to get wet because it'll get mushy. And that's the same deal with these shad. Is you want to make sure you keep them cold but dry, right? Exactly. Because if they get mushy, they're going to fall right off the hook anyway. So it sounds like your dogs are not happy. <laughs> you still there, buddy? Yes, I'm still here. I muted it just a second so I could tell them the hood. The cat, the cat decided to make an appearance. And, you know, all these big bad chihuahuas decided that they needed to uh, go jump up. Now, I say I'm sitting here and got three or four chihuahuas, but then I've also got a pit bull an American bully and a Labrador <laughs> that are all right here close to. And of course the only ones having a fit are the chihuahuas. Right. The big dogs are laying there just kind of going really guys. Seriously? It's, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny. Um, but yeah, I'm just saying keep things cold and dry. Arctic ice, ice packs or other ice packs that you can get on the market are, uh, are good for doing that. Uh, whatever it is. Arctic ice is just the kind that I use. And then, um, Another tech tip is to keep your keep your shad and everything like that alive. If you have a, a, a bait holding well or bait well or anything like that that you can keep alive and just cut them as you're putting them on the hook. That's our little tech tip from uh, from Conroe. You know, keeping your bait fresh and viable and and you know like you want it because there's nothing actually that's going to ruin your fishing trip worse than say you have live bait and it becomes dead bait. Right. Or you have. Uh, dead bait that's cut bait or whatever and it goes from being fresh cut bait to stinking rotten nasty cut yep bait. and all soft and, and people mushy. say oh but those catfish those catfish love the smell of that rotten stuff well to an extent but if you can't keep it on your hook then it's serving no purpose if it's so nasty that you can't or don't want to because i mean who wants to stick their hand in something rotten to put it on their hook, you know? So, right. you know, it's one of those things, keeping your bait uh, fresh and supple is, is very important. And, and like you said, the Arctic ice packs, uh, great, great thing. You know, if, if nothing else, you know, put that bait in some um, gallon uh, sandwich bags that yep. have a good zip seal on them and, uh, you know, keep them iced down in a really good ice chest. You sure. know, I tell people all the time, people, people laugh at me because, I have some relatively expensive, inexpensive ice chests. I put it like that because I have almost all of my ice chests are the, you know, five day, seven day, nine day type ice chests 
and I tell them, you know, if you're out in the middle of the lake, last thing you want to worry about is, oh my gosh, all my ice has melted on my bait and it's ruining or my drinks are hot or my, right. you know, stuff's getting nasty. Trip, so, yeah. you know, I'm not telling anybody to jump out there and buy a $400 ice chest. But what I am saying is get the best one you can afford yeah. and you will be a lot more happy in your days of field, whether it's hunting or fishing, if you have that little bit better ice chest, a little bit better ability to keep your stuff cold. Cold and cool, yeah, exactly, and dry in a lot of cases, too. And, I mean, the other thing that we use on Conroe, just as an example, and obviously this is going to work on Richland Chambers up in North Texas or, you know, any of these other lakes that are around Texas. This is just where, you know, Jeff is on Toledo Bend and Sabine, and then I'm, uh, a lot of my catfishing takes place on Lake Buchanan and um, – and Lake Conroe, uh, you know, if you don't have to have, I mean, if you're after eater sizes, you don't have to have fresh shad. I mean, what, one of the things that uh, some of the guys on, on my fishing ministry do is hot dogs soaked in Kool-Aid and garlic. That seems to work well. And then another thing that a lot of the old catfisher guys on, on Lake Conroe swear by is beef heart because it's hearty and uh, they, they will doctor it up with some stuff and, um, and the other thing I was going to say is chum, you know, if you use chum at all, I was just doing a video on the February issue that just released on, on a, our YouTube channel uh, about, uh, you know, doing, doing catfish bait, doing uh, deer corn soaked with beer. And I always say if you have a, a hog bait, yeah, that's great, but you also got a catfish bait if you let it ferment a little bit, right? Exactly. You know, what's funny is what works on one body of water doesn't always work on another. That's true. Um, I know I, I've tried the, the uh, weenies and uh, Kool-Aid type mixtures and everything here on Sabine, and I can be fishing with uh, an earthworm on one side and that on the other, have two poles right side by side and catch 10 fish on the earthworm <laughs> and not a single fish on the that. But then I can go to... Uh, Sam Rayburn, right. and I can catch my boatloads of fish on the the wiener. On the hot dogs, you know. Yeah. So it's just you know try different things. You know, don't don't limit yourself to taking just one thing with you for bait. You know, take you several things. Right. And another thing is one that seems to never fail, no matter where you go, are earthworms. Okay. Uh, whether you use red wigglers, whether you use night crawlers, whether you get them out of your own yard, it doesn't really matter. I mean, something about the flavor and scent of, of an earthworm. And so what that made me do uh, a couple of years ago is I actually took a box of the red wigglers, uh, or actually, excuse me, the Canadian night crawlers, yep. and I put them in my food processor. Mm -hmm. And I created a paste out of them, huh. and then I added about two and a half pounds of uh, just flour, just regular old baking flour, to that. Yep. And I created a, a little bit of a of a dough ball with it. But before you use that, add a little bit of some type of oil to it, and keep mixing and keep get that. Uh, and it does, doesn't matter. I used coconut oil in mine because when coconut oil gets cold, it solidifies. Oh, I didn't even uh, think about that. Yeah. yeah, to use vegetable, and it, and it doesn't get like, I mean, it, it gets pretty hearty. Yeah, it doesn't so get I nasty. So I put the coconut yeah. oil in it, mixed it all together, uh, went out, put it on my hook, and lo and behold, I, I caught just 
a tremendous amount of catfish. Now, it doesn't stay good for very long. You have to mix it up like the day you're going to use it. And use it right away, right. Yeah, because once those those worms, they decay pretty fast. Anybody that's ever had a a box of worms get hot in the boat knows that they die and start decaying like almost instant. So use it quick, fast, and in a hurry. And generally, you know, I mix up just about two pounds of it per fishing trip. And so you take about a $2.50 box of worms, about $2 worth of baking flour, and probably about $2 worth of uh, coconut oil and mix it all together. Right. And it, it actually, uh, for about six bucks, eight bucks, you've got enough bait to fish all day long. And you take that, and all you all I really do is just reach in, get me a little, uh, about a quarter-sized chunk of it, and take a, uh, I think it's a number two treble hook that I use, and you just form a ball around that treble hook, and then you just dip it down in the water for about 30 seconds or so, and that hardens it up on your hook. Hmm. And once that happens, then you're able to cast that without it coming off your hook. That's good. That's good. I mean, these are just different, you know, tips of things that you can try. For instance, some of the lakes that I, you know, I do the hotspot fishing reports in the magazine, and this is a good time of year, you know, for catfish. Um, you know, a lot of guys will tout, you know, using CJ's punch bait. You know, I've got one guy that prefers that. I've got, you know, guys that prefer dead shad. It's got good guys, stuff. And it just, the thing is, there's a lot of stuff out there. You just got to try and figure out what works best for your lake and your, you know, your, but the thing is, the catfish are not the hardest things to catch if you, if you kind of know what you're doing i guess is the best way to say it i mean not necessarily have all the but just just trying different things that work you know for other people other people catfish are just about the next to a brim or about the easiest fish in the to world catch. to catch that's what i'm trying to say um, yeah it's it's one of those things where there are like you said there are dozens of commercially available baits there's earthworms available in just about every sporting goods section yep. of every store uh there are, if you want to get adventurous, there's recipes online of baits that you can make yourself. Um, right down to using grasshoppers and crickets and things you catch out of the front yard. Yes. It's just one of those things where, honestly, just you can go catfishing in any creek, any lake, any pond that you got permission to get into. There's generally a catfish of some sort in it, whether they're eaters or not. Right. Um, there's generally just some catfish there. And one of the best things about it is you can teach the youngest of children to catfish because you can fish with a bobber yep. in certain areas with, with no current. You can fish on the bottom, which is by far the easiest way. You know, put a tie a hook on and put a weight about 12 inches above it and Carolina type rig. Yep. And and throw out there, and you're you're catfishing, and all you do is sit there and wait on one to grab and grab onto it and swim off and set the hook and bam. So it's, business, it's just yeah. catfishing is the most easy. But I tell people this: catching big catfish is an art. Yes, it is. Anybody can catch a catfish, but to go out and day in and day out catch big catfish, my dad could do that, and I can do it. 
you know, to an extent, I just don't care to anymore. Right. Uh, you know, when I was little, it was, uh, you know, that's we were always after that big one. And we kept and, and ate the smaller ones, but we were after that big one. Hmm. And this is back before, you know, there were cell phones with cameras on them and all this kind of stuff. So, you know, if you caught a big one, you, you drove to the newspaper. And there were many times growing up that my picture and my dad's picture were in our local newspaper. Oh, that's cool. Because we had caught, you know, some 60, 70 pound uh, catfish. You know, uh, the biggest one that my dad and I ever caught out of the Sabine River uh, was 89 pounds. 89 that was, uh, that was pounds. Holy biggest, smokes. 89. The biggest. Uh, now, this is all 89 pounds. So the only way we had to weigh this now at the time was you stepped up on the bathroom scales and you weighed yourself. Right. Then you grabbed the fish, and, and them, you and the fish right. stepped up on the bathroom scales, and then you had to deduct your weight from the weight of you and the fish to see how much the fish weighed. That's how we, so we still measure that, our animals. We measure our cats and dogs that way. Or, I'm sorry, weigh our cats and dogs that way. So yeah, you know, nowadays I have a I have a scale out here where I skin my hogs and everything that goes from zero up to uh, 600 pounds. Mm-hmm. So now I can weigh anything I want to. I have a handheld scale that goes up to 50 pounds, you know, that I, is in my tackle box. Uh, we didn't have those back then. But, you know, I can remember, you know, the biggest blue cat we ever caught weighed right at 60 pounds. Mm. Um, biggest channel I ever caught weighed 33. Mm, mm, mm. So, That's amazing. Um, you know, things like that. I mean, we've caught some monstrous fish back when we fished for them. But, you know, when I got up old enough to fish, I, I just realized that I honestly, as much as I love to catch a big fish, I, I quit fishing for those big fish because I couldn't eat them. Right. And right. my goal with the catfish is to go out there and, and catch catch ones that I can eat. So catch. when I'm out after, you know, a big fish, I'm generally bow fishing, you know, which, you know, almost that would be another show there since – Texas is trying to take our bow fishing away from. Yeah, no, and then there, there, there's one one legislator that's trying to pass bow fishing for catfish again too, and that's been dead for you know 12 years now, and that's that's now coming back on the docket too. So you got people that are not bow fishing for gar and then bow fishing for catfish. I don't understand. Yeah, all, you know, I, I was there for the uh, catfish bow fishing thing, and I can honestly say that we went out many times when we could to go bow fishing for catfish. It was like 2006, right? I mean, way back when. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And we never, during all of our outings, we shot one catfish. Uh-huh. One catfish. And everybody was was like, oh, man, we're going out bow fishing for catfish now. We can go shoot catfish. And I'm thinking to myself, in all my years of bow fishing, I've been bow fishing since I was 13 years old, 47 now. All my years of bow fishing, I have seen a handful of catfish while I was bow fishing. Huh. Yeah. Just I've, I've never run into one of those situations where we were going to fill our boat up with catfish. <laughs> right. Like, and, like the, yeah. And I'm like, I'm not even, I don't want to go bow fishing for catfish. You know, I, when I go out, I'm after a four foot, six foot, seven foot, whatever alligator gar. Right. Uh, or I'm after a tub full of, you know, uh, two foot, three foot, uh, long nose gar or short nose gar. Uh, I'm, I'm 
just I'm not really I'm you know I'm after uh, I my biggest uh, buffalo to date was uh, 56 pounds. Wow, that's huge! Wow, with a bow. That's great. Um, so you know I'm after I'm after those 30 40 pound carp. I'm after those 50 plus pound buffalo. I'm sure. after, and see buffalo are good to eat too. So that's a, that's a plus. Um, you just finished an article catfish, on that. <laughs> I just don't see the need to bow fish for that'd be like saying we're going to open up bow fishing for bass. Yeah, I thought of the same equation too. Yeah, it just didn't make as much sense. You know, um, I would rather leave. I'd rather leave the the catfish and things like that alone. Yeah, you catch them with the rod reel or drug lines or whatever. Yeah. Well, you know, I enjoy. I didn't even have a fit whenever they. Uh, brought in the regulations where we could only shoot uh, one gar, one alligator gar a day. Right. right. You know, I was like, okay, you know, I see the reasoning behind that, and and I'm 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 on board with that to an extent. But when I can go out into the middle of, of Toledo Bend, and there are dozens and dozens of gar flipping around my boat, and you're shooting in the daytime. Yeah, you you can't tell whether that's a four foot fish, a three foot fish, or a five foot fish mm-hmm. just from a just a comes up, sucks yeah. some air, and goes down. So you're making a snapshot. Right. And what this law is going to do with them saying, you know, you can't shoot anything over a certain length or something like that. What that's going to do is make outlaws out of every single bow fisherman <laughs> yeah. out there. And I and I honestly think that that's their their uh, idea, what they want to do. Yeah. yeah. Because what am I going to do? Well, I make a snapshot and pull him in. Oh no, he's too short. Right. Well, now I've got a more, I've got a mortally wounded alligator gar that's going to die. You got And I eat guards. Yeah, I do too. So what do I do? Right. I unscrew my tip. I get that fish off of there as fast as I can and turn him loose. That's right. all you can do. It's just yeah. like if you catch a small catfish that swallows the hook, he's not legal. So you have to Throw him back, cut yeah. your line or whatever and leave your hook in his gut and just toss the dice that he dies or doesn't die and right. turn him loose. Well, you're going to be doing that. And all of a sudden people are going to start seeing all these six foot, eight foot gar floating around these lakes and game wardens are going to be cracking down. Oh, look what we're doing. we got to stop bow fishing altogether. Yeah. Yeah. All of a sudden it's going to be a slippery slope. Well, that is a whole nother show. I mean, I just, uh, I think it's an interesting, <laughs> right, I'm sorry. no, you're fine. It, it just, it, it's an interesting fact. And I'm part of the Lone Star Bow Hunters Association doing their magazine forum and then, uh, their blog and their website stuff. And then I do, um, you know, part of Hill Country Bow Hunters is my local one. All these guys are rising up as far as the, the whole thought goes on, on, uh, on those kind of things. But yeah, it's definitely a good, and it's fishing. I mean, so we might as well talk about it on a fishing podcast. So, no, I think it's good. Uh, what I was gonna run, run run around with you on these bigger catfish is we typically will set the the um, you know up shallow, you know, setting jugs up in coves and that kind of stuff. But if you're jug fishing, you can also set between what like twelve to twenty five foot of water. Am I saying that right? I I, I can't remember off yeah, the top I'm, of my head. The deepest water that I have set with uh, with any of my jugs is about 14 or 15 feet of water. Okay. And honestly, um, tore the fish up. That was on Toledo Bend, a place called Tenahaw Creek. Uh-huh. I'm familiar um, with that. Right, right next to Toomey's Bridge, mm-hmm. uh, which is the bridge. You've got a boat ramp right off the side of it right there on Tenahaw Creek. The bridge goes across it. And which I live just a very short distance from 
Chenahaw Creek. Right. And I'm kind of I'm kind of in between the Sabine River and Chenahaw Creek. And uh, you know, I fished right there where the old road before they built the new road and everything. There was an old road that went through there before it all flooded. And uh, basically, I love to fish that road bed. Okay. And it's about 14 foot deep right there at times. And we have just literally, uh, and one day I took my dad when he was uh, pretty sick with cancer. And we put my boat in and we just put our jug lines right up that old boat. I mean, you could sit there and watch cars drive drive by. That's how close we were to the highway. And in eight hours time, we caught 56 catfish, keeper catfish, which we you know, we had to turn the three or four that were over our limit of loose, but we came home with our limit, 50, you know, 25 for me, fish. 25 for him. Yeah. And, you know, in eight hours' time, uh, you know, we we filled our live wheel so full of catfish that it was unbelievable. You know, the next day we went to the exact same spot, put our jugs back out, and we limited out again. Wow. And, you know, my my dad, that was a, the, actually the last fishing trip, uh, next to the last, that was the last successful fishing trip, I should say, that, that my father and I got to take. And I'll never, never, ever forget that. And, you know, in all honesty, all we were baiting with, we were baiting with uh, crappie minnows. Huh. Interesting. So, live, live bait, right? Or are we all using? Yes. Okay, cool. Um, yes, live bait. You know, and that's the thing with your yellow cats that needs to be said on here, too. Your yellow cats, your flatheads prefer, you know, live bait where possible. Sometimes we've caught them on uh, on cut shad or, or whole shad. But um, the funny thing is the blue cats will like the cut bait. And really, you, I've, I myself, being that I bow fish and rod and reel and jug fish, I will go through and and uh, and, and catch my, my cut bait through bow fishing. You ever do that? Oh, absolutely. Yes. And I mean, that, that's another good, good thing that you can get cut bait from. You don't have to go catch shad all the time. You can just get some cut carp or cut buffalo, something that's really oily, like, uh, like buffalo or carp or, um, you know, anything like that. Uh, shad, you know, big, big bull shad, for instance. And, uh, I've, I've made cut bait out of all those. Yeah, man, cut carp is some of the best bait you can get certain times of the year. Yeah, and I'll tell you something else. There are times of the year I know here in the Sabine River where catfish will only eat something that comes out of the river. I know that sounds weird. No, that's interesting. There are times. There are times whenever we have been fishing with uh, the red crawfish, like the bull, that come out of the bayous and swamps there in Louisiana, and can't catch fish. Yeah, but we can go along the roadside ditches and use our uh, crawfish nets and things like that to just rake the the vegetation in the ditches and get the white looking crawfish. Yep, out of the ditches and tear the catfish up on them, or uh, take a, a cast net or a seine and seine uh, sandbars and get uh, red tailed uh, minnows or shad out of the river and tear the catfish up on them. But yet at the same time, we're fishing with uh, goldfish or with uh, store-bought crappie minnows and can't catch a fish. 
Okay. No, I understand that. And I mean, that's, that's interesting. So if, if I was to say this from, from a different perspective, that's be kind of like matching the hatch, if you will. Right. If you're fly fishing, I mean, going with things that's that people, exactly what okay, it is. good. I'm just using that as an analogy. Cause I, I, I don't fly fish much anymore, but that's what we use as far as using fly flies that are, uh, that are, you know, similar to what's, what's going to be natural in their environment. That's smart. That's smart. And um, the other thing I was going to say for big cats that we found on Conroe and some other lakes, Buchanan and some other lakes, is to set jugs in the river channel or near the river channel. Um, that, that's been, you know, as far as using your electronics where you have them, you know, uh, finding where that river channel is. Because uh, a lot of those big cats will go follow that river channel and that's how they feed. Absolutely. You know, and, and it's all one of those things of kind of being a student of the environment is, you know, paying attention to the depth of the water, the current, things like that. Sure. If it's middle of summer and there has been no current in the river for quite a long time or in a lake or something like that, you know, the water level is low, et cetera. Um, you know, you want to set where there's some current, even right. no matter how minute that current is, you want to set out in the middle of that channel so that that little bit of current, that little fresh water flow is coming through there. Or there's just enough, uh, uh, it's deep enough that the water's cooler down at depth and you're fishing where these fish are seeking refuge. Right. So if you will. That's and smart. So it, you know, all, it's, all fishing is the same really. Whether you're cat fishing, bass fishing, crappie fishing, you have to be, uh, pretty much a student of your, environment right and know your lake know your river know what you're doing there in order to uh catch the you know have your best chances of catch so catfishing's not nearly as as complex as some of the others you know bass fishing with ph of the water and all that kind right. of stuff right all but right. but you still need to know some things because you know, there's certain times of year, like late July and stuff, whenever those red tail uh, minnows are really running up and down the river, uh, the Sabine where I'm at, and that's what the catfish are hitting. That's what they're keying on. That's what they're chasing. There's times whenever the shad are spawning and running up and down the river, and you can just see just thousands of shad on top of the water. Um, you better take the cast net and Get you some. Yeah. throws and get you some of those shad and i guarantee you you take some of them and what i do is i'll the ones that i get some to fish with and then i take a mesh laundry bag mm -hmm. and i will put this, say a couple of hundred shad in it and get on the front of my boat and i take my little uh boat paddle and i sit there and i why hit those shad and kind of bust them all up <laughs> and make mush out of them. <laughs> When I hang that uh, bag, like we are talking about chum while ago, I hang that bag over the side of my boat, and then I fish down under that bag, and I'll tear them up. 
That's a great idea. I never thought about that. And that's completely legal to do because shad are not a game fish. And you could even do that with some bull shad. Right. You shot some on some bow fishing or caught some in your cast net. But, you know, it reminds me one of the things my dad taught me to do is to get a thing of dog food, tie, you know, pierce it like you're going to open it with a, with a bottle opener, tie a string around it so you can throw it over your boat or throw it off the bank or whatever and uh, poke some holes in it. And the dog food will be a chum source right there as far as just it's kind of a waste of dog food. But uh, it's a way to bring catfish in. And that's worked well for me, too. So the same idea. Yeah. You got same dog way, food. I know uh, you got dog do. food. So. Oh, yeah. And, you know, most of your uh, uh, big fishing outlets have, this, we call them stink baits. I yep. don't want to miss, mention, you know, any brand names. Yeah. But uh, there, there's uh, several uh, that are designed to put into hook nets and things like that. But also, you know, the just, just stink baits, really. And you can get those in little plastic tubs. Uh-huh. And what I will do is I'll take a metal coffee can and I will poke holes all in that metal coffee can. I'll dump that stink bait down in that metal coffee can, put the lid on it, tie a string around it, and put it out there. Same idea as my dog food. Yeah, that's great. That's perfect. Same, same idea as the dog food. You just have a little more stink to Stink it. in there. Yeah, you know, exactly. that. that yeah, that, that, that rotten cheese smell from that uh, stinky dog food. For some reason, the catfishes loved rotten cheese. Makes you want to puke, yeah, that stuff, yeah. Yeah, that's cool, but... No, these are all great tips, and I mean, I, my whole goal with this podcast, and my listeners know this by now, is just to educate and motivate and help you, inspire you to go have your own best of the outdoors. That's why I call it the best of the outdoors. I just, you know, there's so many different things you can try, but what Jeff and I are talking about are things that are tried and true for us, you know, that have worked well for us, but your mileage may vary as, as, a, as in any of this stuff, but I mean, catfishing is just a great sport, so I mean, it's just, it's a fantastic way to spend time outdoors with your family, for sure. Hey, I know a guy that used to catch his limit of fish quite often with uh, deer liver. Okay. Every year when he killed a deer, he, he would save the liver out of those deer. Uh, he would uh, cube that liver up and, uh, you know, sizes just big enough to put on the hook, freeze it in water in his uh, uh, freezer, and uh, he would actually use uh, cans, like coffee cans and things, to... Uh, freeze it and then he would open it up and use it and just caught blue poodles of fish you know, you mentioned that. That's a really good idea, too. I mean, since some of us that fish deer hunt, too, or pig hunt, you know, pig liver can do something similar like that. It's pretty hardy, oh, hardy yeah. meat. But, you know, well, one thing that I did with my, my father-in-law and I fished together for many years and, and still do, and I'm getting ready to take him on a trip next weekend, and um, we got together, and I would always do anise oil, which my grandfather believed in making anise, uh, anise yeah. you know, like you can find. And, and I use even star of anise in some of my hot dog, you know, things and stuff like that 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 my little mixtures that i make for catfish and that stuff works real well too so you, you know the same stuff you make in these cookies with which aren't as popular as they used to be when i was growing up uh everybody laughed at me when i did that i'd catch all the dang catfish on the anise stuff you know everybody kind of thought yeah. i was just using some kind of pukey crap you know and i'm like no this is actually good stuff because the catfish are attracted to that strong smell that anise so that yeah you can we buy have H-E-B, always so the uh anise oil yep. and put it in a little a little sprayer yeah and keep it in the uh, tackle box and so if the fish weren't biting my dad would break out that uh 
an Easter oil and, and squirt it Spray on his worm bait. and yeah. throw it out there. Sometimes that would be all it would need, all you would need to trigger a bite. Right, right, exactly. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. So that's a good nice little tech tip there. Well, listen, we're about at an hour, so I don't want to take up any more of your time. I really appreciate you being on the podcast. Anything to say before we end this one, Jeff? Oh, man, just check us out at fishgame.com, both Dustin and myself. Uh, pick up uh, some copies of Texas Fishing Game magazine. Uh, subscribe, whatever. It's a great publication, uh, not just because I write for it, but because I believe in it. And yep. You know, uh, get out there and take your kids hunting and fishing. Yeah, it's just it's a great time to get outdoors, uh, even though, you know, this time of year it's, heck, today it's 70 degrees, but it's supposed to be down in the 30s like tomorrow. So, I mean, I record these a week before I send them out. So, I mean, the weather is just is just crazy. But the colder and nastier and wetter the weather is, and that's also what I was going to mention, have a good pair, of, have, have a good set of rain gear if you're going to be out on a boat or you're going to be really hardcore fishing these uh, these winter months. Because the first time I didn't do that, and I tell the story on this podcast a lot, I wished I had, you know, so, you know. I, and I'm going to tell you something. It is so simple nowadays. It's not like it used to be when we were young where you had to have one of those big yellow slicker suits yep. in order to, to have rain gear. Uh, now there is a company out there, uh, again, don't want to mention names and, and boost them on without them advertising with us, but, uh, you know, there's companies out there that have ultralight little ponchos and yep. rain gear that don't weigh six ounces that you can fold up and, and literally put it in your tackle box. Yep. Yep. I like that a lot. That's really good. And I mean, it's just one of those things where you just show up prepared. It's better to have it and not need it than need it and not have it. Uh, and also, you know, just, just to be prepared for the winter weather and stuff. Cause if you don't like the weather in Texas folks, just wait, you know, so <laughs> that's what they always say. But, um, anyway, thanks. Hey, this, yeah, go ahead. It's all, better to have too much clothes on and need to take something yes. off than to be out there shivering and freezing because i have been out on the water whenever we it was 70 plus degrees when we got on the water and two hours later a cold front blew in and it was 56 degrees and i was in shorts and a t-shirt right. and shivering well, and I make that point because today we are getting a cold front here in my part of Central Texas. I think you guys are starting to get it as well. And it's just one of those things that um, that just blows through that just the weather changes so fast. You just got to be prepared. So that's a really good point as well. So, exactly. Thank you exactly. so just much. Be safe. Yeah, just be safe out there and have fun, guys. Take your family out in the outdoors. I mean, it's a great time. So thanks so much, Jeff, for joining us today. My pleasure and my honor to be here. And there he goes, ladies and gentlemen, Mr. Jeff Stewart. Man, what a guy, what a guy, what a guy. Awesome, awesome, awesome podcast this week. I really enjoyed my time with him. Uh, we, After we get done recording, we'll talk for like another 30 minutes. I mean, seriously, that's our typical conversation. We'll, we'll go for an hour and a half. Um, but uh, I, I wanted to cut a little bit short since uh, we're, we're over an hour this week, and I apologize if that's a little bit long for you. But, you know, the idea behind all this is I'm here to educate you and motivate you, inspire you to go have the best of the outdoors, which is the whole reason why I've named the show what it was four years ago now. It's been, geez, next month it has been four years. I can't believe it. It's crazy. Um, 
But anyway, thank you guys so much. Please be sure to check out our fishgame.com newsletter. Um, you can sign up at fishgame.com, obviously. Our newsletter comes out to your email box every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. And then we have special newsletters that come out on Fridays or Mondays. And then special email blasts from sponsors that buy, uh, rent the list, if you will, rent the email list, and uh, show you their offer. And it's just cool. It's really, really cool thing. You can get the podcast on every, uh, every Thursday newsletter. We either do a rerun or do the a new podcast every two weeks. And uh, it's a great place to do that. You have the practical and tactical Tuesday newsletter, the Wildlife Wednesday newsletter, and the Thursday Texas State of the Outdoor Nation newsletter. Lots of fun, guys. Lots of fun. So uh, check that out. Be sure to check out all the articles that I've been putting out live on fishgame.com. There's four new ones. I did one on the bonus ring, which is uh, you guys that shoot a compound bow. This is a really cool uh, product for you. To, uh, to check out. It is a little silicone ring that goes around your sight housing, uh, helps you shoot better at night, helps you shoot better uh, fast target acquisition, that kind of stuff. Um, I have one on a shovel and a camp axe, which is kind of cool, from a company called Yay Cool and uh, IUNEO. And then I've got one on why to hunt with red lights for coyotes. Got that coming out, and then I've got one other one that I did on the Alps backpack from Alps Outdoors. Um, they make a, uh, a really cool uh, Pursuit X, or a, I think it's Pursuit X uh, backpack that I review as well. So anyway, all those and links to where you can buy those are on the website by now. If not by now, they'll be on the website in the coming weeks. Uh, you can check those out. Uh, just keep an eye out on the, on the fishgame.com newsletters and fishgame.com blog. That's where they're going to be appearing. Got them all scheduled and ready to go. And I just thank you guys so much for watching, reading, and listening. Have an awesome day in the outdoors. We'll see you next time.